we're continuing our look at the book of Joel today. And as we look at the last section of Joel chapter 2, in this section, there is a lot of mention of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we're talking about the Trinity, when we're talking about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God who exists in three co-eternal and co-equal persons, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is typically the member of the Trinity that we either know the least about or we think the least about. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about these details in just a few moments, but when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life and He does powerful things. And we're going to see these things described and displayed here in Joel chapter 2. We're going to talk about the when the Holy Spirit does a work in your life, when He does His work in your life. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Joel chapter 2, and we're going to pick up at verse 28 of Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, starting with verse 28, and I'm going to read right down to verse 32, but this is what it says. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be able to carve out some time right at the start of our week here to take a look at what this portion of Scripture states. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand it. We pray that you'd help us to grow from it. We pray that we would be men and women after your own heart who welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, who are eager for the work of your Holy Spirit to be accomplished in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged by this portion of your word to understand what that looks like and what he does as he accomplishes his work within us. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for the privilege to look at these things together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a tiny bit of theological background before we pick apart the verses that we just read together. At the moment we come into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, we are immediately, at that moment, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture teaches us. That's what Scripture reveals. He moves into us. He makes us His temple. He confirms the truth of the gospel to our hearts. He comforts us. Scripture tells us He counsels us. Uh, and He accomplishes a divine work of transformation in our lives. He changes the way we think. So think about just for a moment 
your perspective before you came to know Christ and before the Holy Spirit was transforming your thinking. Think about what your perspective was like, how limited it was, how transient it tended to be, how worldly it tended to be. Well, when the Holy Spirit moves into your heart, when He moves into your life, He changes the way you think. He also changes our motivations, uh, and He helps us to value godliness over worldliness. And the work he does in the family of God is amazing. But again, sometimes we minimize his work. Sometimes we don't think very much about his work, even though Scripture is trying to draw our attention to the work the Holy Spirit's doing for us. These are truths, by the way, the things that I just listed there, the things that I just referenced, these are truths that devoted students of Scripture learn to appreciate from a theological perspective very early But these truths aren't always appreciated in the same way when it comes to our understanding of how the Holy Spirit impacts our day-to-day life. So sometimes we can understand these truths like bullet points that we would say, okay, here's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of someone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He does this thing, he does this thing, he does this thing, and he does this thing. And we assent to these things mentally, but sometimes as far as our heart motivations are concerned, or sometimes as far as how we understand these things on a day-to-day basis are applying to our day-to-day lives, sometimes these things kind of escape our attention for one reason or another. And, and the way I've, I've heard some people phrase this is sometimes it takes our heart a little while to catch up to what our mind is already agreeing to. Well, in Joel chapter 2, starting with verse 28, which I just read a few moments ago, we're given here a powerful glimpse of the work that the Holy Spirit does in the lives of people and the work that He does throughout the course of the history of this world. Now, these words were spoken prophetically with a view toward their ultimate fulfillment, but we have a different perspective on these passages than Joel did when he first wrote these things down. Joel was looking at these things from a particular perspective as he was looking toward them being fulfilled. But we have the opportunity to see and experience right now some of these things that Joel is speaking about being fulfilled in our lives, in our midst, in our specific context. Now, again, before we take a look at the the details of these scriptures, let me ask a personal question that I want you to be wrestling with as we look at these, these details from God's Word. Can you see the work that the Holy Spirit has been doing specifically in your life? Can you see the work that He's doing? Do you notice the changes that He has made and the ways in which your affections are being shaped to value godliness instead of worldliness? Can you, can you see the things that He's doing in your life? Do you think about the things that He's doing in your life? And by the way, I promise you that if your faith in Jesus Christ is genuine, the Holy Spirit is at work within you and around you. I promise you that's true. If you genuinely believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is presently at work within you and around you. And he's also going to do a future work geared toward pointing hearts toward Jesus Christ. And we see some of these details here in this passage. So what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of somebody? Well, let's look at some of the things that are referenced here in this portion of God's Word. One we referenced just a moment ago. He works powerfully within you and around you. Let me reread verse 28. There it says this. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
And your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. So um, right now, my wife and I are blessed with with four teenagers in our home, and um, often as I interact with our kids, I think about that season of my life and some of the things that I really enjoyed and some of the things that were really difficult. And one of the things that was most difficult about my teenage years for me personally, this was extremely difficult, uh, was dealing with acne. Now, in some respects, when you're dealing with acne, it's almost comical, right? In the sense that right before you uh, go somewhere, of course, like a very noticeable pimple shows up on your face and you're like, does this have to happen right now? Or right before you're supposed to take important pictures or anything like that. Well, I dealt with for a season, for actually quite a few years, very severe acne. And I won't go into all the details of how severe it was, but it was severe. So my family took me to a dermatologist, and the dermatologist was trying to figure out ways in which I can be helped. He wanted to to help me overcome this, knowing that this was something, it's difficult for anyone at any stage, but it was particularly difficult for me as a young teenager. And, um, And so he prescribed some topical treatments. And these were powerful medicines, And so I I would use these topical treatments, but it wasn't fixing things. And so after several years of taking his recommendations in that area, he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to prescribe to you the strongest medication that I know, but it's not something that you take lightly. If I prescribe this, there are all sorts of rules and parameters for you taking this, including the fact that you need to have monthly blood tests to make sure that this isn't damaging your internal organs. And I was like, okay. And he said, but it will cure your acne. And uh, I thought, you know what, at that point I was so desperate I was willing to do anything. And he said, but there's some side effects that come with this. You're going to deal with this, you're going to deal with this, you're going to deal with this, but it will work. And I thought, okay, you know what, I'll do whatever. Whatever it takes, I will do whatever it takes. And so I'm not somebody that jumps up and down about anything medical, okay? Some of you have no problem, like, with medical things. That has never been my thing. I do tend to get squeamish about that stuff. I'm not the type of person that enjoys being prodded with needles, anything like that. But I remember at the time thinking, all right, I'll get these monthly blood tests. I'll do whatever they need to do. I just want this cured. And the interesting thing was when I started taking that medication, it did. It had the side effects that he told me it was going to have, and that wasn't great. Thankfully, the blood tests came out okay. But you could tell that something different was in me based on, what I looked externally, or how I looked externally. You could tell something was changing. It was that drastic, because that medicine was very powerful medicine, and it was working within me powerfully, and then on the outside you could see a very noticeable demonstration of the fact that something new was inside of me that was producing external change, and it cleared up that severe acne that I was dealing with. I was very grateful. Now, I bring that up not to gross you out to talk about like medical things or, or whatever, but I was thinking about that this week in regard to this passage. Because when you look at this passage, this portion of Scripture talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is at work within a person, it starts to become obvious that He's doing what He's doing. When He lives within someone, His presence and His power they start to have obvious effects on a person's life. It starts to become visibly noticeable. He changes us from within. He produces Christ-likeness in our character that begins to grow apparent to others. We react differently to things like stress 
or to grief or to pain. Our love for others begins to grow, including love for those who hate us or despise us or hurt us. We start to develop a genuine love for people who don't love us. And our hope regarding the future becomes solid because the Holy Spirit lives within us and He testifies to these things in our hearts and in our lives. But isn't it amazing, and I I can certainly testify to the fact that I've done this so many times in my life it's ridiculous, but isn't it amazing how easy it is to take what we're used to for granted? When we become used to something, we take it for granted. And I wonder how often we as Christians take the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit for granted. I wonder that in my own life. I wonder that for you. I wonder that just for Christians in general. How frequently do we take the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit for granted? Do we realize, so let's put our theological caps on for just a second, but think back to living under the Old Covenant era. Do we realize that those living during that era experienced the Holy Spirit in a little bit of a different way than you and I do? During that era, the Holy Spirit would temporarily indwell certain people for a certain period of time to accomplish a specific task. But He did not indwell all who believed. He indwelled certain believers for a certain period of time to accomplish something specific, and that's how He worked during that era. But now we live under the New Covenant. The New Covenant was inaugurated when Jesus Christ shed His blood on our behalf at the cross. And under the New Covenant, things operate differently. Under the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit permanently indwells and permanently empowers all believers from the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ. So that's one of the benefits of living in this era under this covenant that you and I live under. That the Holy Spirit permanently indwells those who believe in Christ and He empowers us. That's what Joel was prophesying would happen. He was looking forward to this. He was thinking, now, I I love having things to look forward to, and I purposely put things on my schedule so that I know that I can look forward to these things. I try and, I know that seems weird, right? But I purposely put things on my schedule so I always have a little something here, a little something there to look forward to. I recently rented a cabin for our family that in a little while we're going to have the opportunity to use. I just paid the deposit the other day. It's a cabin we've never used in a place that we've never stayed overnight. We thought, all right, let's do this. And, you know, planning a family vacation. So I've got that in the back of my mind. We've got this cabin to ourselves in the middle of nowhere. It sounds great or spooky. I don't know. It's going to be one of the two, right? But I love having things to look forward to. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, Joel is writing things down that he's looking forward to. Things you and I get to experience right now to the point that we almost become used to these experiences, but Joel didn't have that experience. He was looking forward to the things that the Lord's doing for us presently. And Joel was prophesying that the Holy Spirit was going to work in and among God's people in a powerful way under this new covenant era. So in our era that you and I live under, The Holy Spirit, as Joel references here, He is poured out on all flesh, meaning that He is generously given to all who believe in Jesus Christ. That's what Joel means by that. He's poured out on all flesh, not just certain people for a certain period of time, but all believers. He's poured out on all flesh. And being that He lives within the family of God, He makes a point to work powerfully within us and powerfully around us. 
And so Joel gives examples of some of the things that the Holy Spirit delights to do. We're told here that we're given examples here of prophecies, dreams, and visions being divinely revealed through all kinds of people as the Holy Spirit makes this so. And Scripture also speaks of other ways that the Holy Spirit reveals truth and has revealed truth in this era. A great example of this is given to us in Acts chapter 2. So when you're reading through Scripture, one of the portions of Scripture that I'd encourage you to read at some point in your life is to just sit down and read the early chapters of the book of Acts as you can see the church getting started and inaugurated in that context. Now, the events taking place in the early part of Acts chapter 2, they occurred on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was the 50th day after Passover. And on that day, the early believers in Jesus Christ were gathered together in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit, we're told in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them the ability to speak in languages that they did not naturally know. And as the sound of this group speaking was being heard, Scripture tells us that others who heard this accused them of being drunk because they couldn't understand what, you know, what is this commotion? What is this noise that we're hearing? So they're accused of being drunk, but look at how the Apostle Peter responded to those accusers. In Acts chapter 2, starting verse, in verse 14, it says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He's saying, you're getting to see right now the things that the prophet Joel prophesied hundreds of years earlier were going to take place. You get to see it. You get to experience. Peter says, this is the exact thing that Joel was telling us would one day occur. This is the exact thing that Joel was telling us would one day happen. So again, as we've been studying the book of Joel, many of these things that Joel is speaking about, he's looking at from a future perspective. He's looking at these things and saying, Lord, how exciting that'll be when you actually bring these things to pass. And here you and I are, living a couple thousand years later, experiencing the things that Joel was looking forward to. And all that to say, as the Holy Spirit lives within you, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you, He will do powerful things in your life, and He will do powerful things in your circumstances, and He will demonstrate His power in ways that may astound you and may surprise you. And again, you could see Peter trying to clarify that for people who weren't used to seeing the Holy Spirit operating in the lives of, of, of what we would just say just regular believers. But what Peter was saying, what Joel was saying, is this is what the Spirit does. This is what He does. This is what He does in the lives of those who trust in Jesus Christ. Now, something else that we see in Joel chapter 2 that I think is worth noting is in Joel chapter 2, verse 29. And I want to just kind of point it out, because here it illustrates the fact that the Holy Spirit, as He's doing this work in your life and in my life, He's not hung up on earthly labels. He doesn't care what label you come with here on this earth, or what label you try and give yourself. He's not hung up on that stuff. Look at what it says in verse 29. It says, Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. That's a brief verse, but let me reread it. Even on the male and female servants in those days, 
I will pour out my Spirit. What's Joel saying as the Lord gives him these words to say? He's saying that, that the Holy Spirit is not caught up on earthly labels. Isn't it interesting how often our profession or our occupation starts to really mess with our sense of identity? Do you ever notice that? Do you ever sometimes start to adopt the fact that you are what you do? So whatever your current job is, if you're working in social work, if you're working in counseling, if you're working in business administration, if you're working in marketing, do you start to say of yourself, I'm a marketer, or I'm an administrator, or I'm a counselor, or I'm a social worker? Or would it be more correct for us to say, this is what I temporarily do, versus this is who I am? But so often we... we uh, look at our lives and we start to wrap our sense of identity around our occupation. I heard a story recently of someone who had to travel on a bus kind of regularly, and he started noticing something about the bus driver. And he's looking at the bus driver, and he's thinking, where do I know him from? Where do I know him from? I feel like I know this guy. Where do I know him from? He's looking at him, and he's thinking, I, I recognize him from somewhere. And then after enough bus trips, it finally dawned on him. He's like, I know exactly who that is. That's Louis Weaver. Now, does anyone know who Louis Weaver is? <laughs> Everyone's like, no. I don't know if anyone will get this. Does anyone remember a, a, a rock band named Petra from the 70s, 80s, 90s? Louis was their drummer. He drives a bus now. And, uh, and so this guy was looking, and I heard this on a podcast. He's like, I'm, I'm on the bus, and I'm looking. And it dawns on me. He's like, wait a second. Our bus driver is Louis Weaver from Petra. Well, obviously, I have to talk to him. I've got to ask him, like, are you Louis Weaver? And so he walked up to him. He said, listen, I've got to ask you a question, and it's more like a statement, but you're Louis Weaver, aren't you? And the guy looked at him and was like, yes, you recognize me? He said, absolutely. I, I have, like, a whole bunch of your albums. Like, your music was great. And apparently Louis was so pleased to think that somebody would recognize him from his drumming days because I think in his mind he probably associated that as being the highlight of his professional career. I imagine that in his context he, he wasn't looking at what he was doing as the highlight of his professional career. He wanted people to remember him from when he was a drummer from a, a world-famous band, not for any other occupation. Although I don't know how famous they are because like two of you were like, oh yeah, them. I have no idea what he's talking about. Google it when he looks down, you know. Um, and that's fine. <laughs> but the point being, so often we wrap our identity up in, in what our occupation is, even though we're only going to be doing that occupation for a brief season, right? No matter what your job is, you do it for a little while and then you don't do it. It's what you do. It's not who you are, right? We got we to gotta line those things up differently. Because in the Lord's eyes, our professions are not impressive. He is not impressed with my profession or your profession or anyone's profession. It does not impress Him. The Creator of the universe doesn't get impressed by worldly titles by degrees, or by pedigrees. These are things that do not impress our Lord. He's not hung up on our earthly labels. In fact, Scripture tells us multiple times that He delights to use the humble to accomplish great things, and He actually works against the proud. So He lifts up the humble, and He does powerful things through the humble, 
But if you're full of yourself, if you're consumed with pride, he's more than happy to to cut you down to size. He's more than happy to work against you. But the humble he lifts up and he works through. And then you look at what this portion of Scripture, verse 29 from Joel 2, what it reveals to us about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Who is he willing to live within? Who is he willing to live within? He's willing to live within anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. He's willing to live within those who occupy the most humble positions among us. Here, they're referred to as male and female servants. The Holy Spirit's willing not just to live within kings. Because up to this point, what have they seen? They've seen the Holy Spirit indwell kings and then empower them to do miraculous things. Indwelling judges indwelling great leaders and prophets for a period of time, but just kind of them and not everybody. And yet here you have, you have Joel saying, no, the day's going to come when the Holy Spirit is going to live within even male and female servants. Those who, who, uh, those who serve in the most humble positions among you. Those who, who would consider themselves in the lowliest of states. Those who don't get excited to tell others what they do for a living. The Spirit of God doesn't hesitate to call such people His temple. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The fact that the Holy Spirit would take residence within all who trust in Jesus Christ, regardless of what our earthly labels are. I love what Scripture tells us when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. Uh, chapter 6, verse 19, excuse me, tells us this. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now, who is that verse directed toward? That verse was directed to the Corinthian church. It's directed toward believers. It's a general statement telling us that it's not just certain believers in Christ whom the Holy Spirit is willing to live within and refer to us as the temple, His temple. It's not just some of us. It's all who trust in Jesus Christ. Again, He is not caught up on earthly labels. This is one of the benefits of living under this new covenant that Jesus Christ inaugurated with His blood. Well, look at at what uh, Joel reveals to us about what the Holy Spirit's doing around us. He draws our attention to divinely orchestrated signs. Let me read verse 30 and verse 31 of Joel 2. It says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, I'm grateful that we have copies of God's Word to read. I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to think about it, to ponder it, even in moments like this, to start off our week discussing it, looking at it together. There's so much depth to the content of the Bible that if we were trying to to search it all out. The truth is our earthly lives are not long enough to search every last detail out that we would want to search out to its fullest extent. But I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the things that are being revealed to us in Scripture. And among the prophetic things that are being spoken of when we look at God's Word, we're told that the Lord is going to bring to pass some divinely orchestrated signs that will testify to the day of the Lord and the return of Jesus Christ, that these are things that are going to come to pass. And so you have Joel speaking about some of these things here in this passage. He speaks about the sun being turned to darkness, and he speaks about the moon being turned to blood. 
Now, these signs are mentioned elsewhere in Scripture as well. It's not just spoken of here in Joel. These things are referenced multiple times in Scripture. I'll just pull up on the screen here behind me several of the other instances that speak of these things. One we see in Christ's comments in Matthew 24, 29, where he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And in Revelation 6, 12, it says this, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood. So we see these things referenced here in Joel's book. But we also see these things referenced elsewhere in Scripture. Do you think that the Lord's trying to draw our attention to these things? Do you think that the Lord wants us to understand these things? Do you think that there are purposes to these kinds of signs? And what the Scripture tells us here in Joel, when we look at these things, what, what, what we're being shown is that the Holy Spirit is drawing our attention to these signs on purpose. That those who have the opportunity to see these signs, when they come to pass, are going to be seeing things that they are intended to see the generation that'll see these future events happen are going to be given the opportunity to realize that the testimony of scripture is true and that the promised return of Christ is imminent the promised return of Christ is imminent meaning it can happen at any moment and for those of us who already believe these things when we see the lord fulfill prophetic words like these What He does to our hearts, what He's doing for you and what He's doing for me is He's confirming to us that when He makes a promise, it comes to pass. Now let me just comment on that a tiny bit before we look at the last thing we're going to look at this morning. In your life and in my life, there are going to be people that that may tell us something and may not come through on it, right? And have you experienced that? Have you ever experienced something like that? My, uh, I, I don't have my daughter's permission to say this. Let's see, is Julia up here somewhere? All right, Jules, I'm, I owe you something for saying this. It's not bad, but I usually clear these things with my kids before I share them. But how would you feel if you were 13 years old and you had invited a whole bunch of people that you knew from school to come to your birthday party? And, uh, you know, your family was all prepared for it, and uh, that was all coming to pass. And, um, and you invited them all to come, and then the day of the party came, and they bailed, and they just didn't come. So Julia, Julia was telling me uh, about someone in, uh, that they're friends with that just had that happen to them. Everybody pretty much bailed. And the family had paid for a whole bunch of fun things. And so it was like the family and the siblings using the fun stuff, but, but nobody for the kids. So yesterday, uh, Julia and, and uh, Megan and some of their friends, um, they, took this, they took this young guy out for pizza. I thought that was real nice. They took him out for pizza, you know, just to kind of console him in the midst of all of this. Um, but how many times in your life have people told you they're going to do one thing and they do the opposite? Or they told you that they're going to come through in a particular area, and then they don't come through. Have you ever had that happen? 
there's probably none of us that can say that that hasn't happened to us in one respect or another. I mean, that's something that's happened to me as an adult where people to my face will say, all right, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come through. You, you could count on me, that sort of thing. And then when the moment of truth comes, all of a sudden they bail and they're gone. And then you look at what Scripture tells us. And it tells us time and time again that the Lord is going to do certain things. And He makes all kinds of promises to us. Makes all kinds of promises to us. And when He makes a promise to us, does He forget that He made the promise? No, He doesn't forget. He does the exact thing that He says He's going to do. So think about that in regard to all the things that are promised to God's people when you're looking throughout Scripture. Do you ever come across a promise of God and think, I wonder if He'll actually do this? He's going to do it. You know, as the Scripture describes here, the sun becoming dark, the moon appearing like blood. These things, these great signs in the heavens, are these things that the Lord will do or, or not do? Does He just say them at least four times in Scripture because it actually says, He says these things more than four times related to those events. But here I just gave you four examples of Him saying essentially the same thing. Do you think He'll do it or do you think He won't? How about the things that Joel was prophesying would one day happen? That the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, male and female servants. Though anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ could experience the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Did the Lord bring that to pass? Yes or no? He brought it to pass. The rest of these prophecies are going to come to pass. When the Lord promises us something, He delivers on it. And by the way, we should be the type of people, you know how Scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no be no? We should also be the type of people who model that aspect of our Lord's character. As His representatives, as His ambassadors, since we worship a Lord whose yes is yes and no is no, our yes should be yes, our no should be no. And if we promise something, we come through on it. We do what we say we're going to do. We're people of the Word who live by our Word. And here, this portion of Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit shows us that, he, that, he's, that He's making things clear. He's drawing our attention to divinely orchestrated signs that will ultimately come to pass. But there's one other thing, and this is what I want to finish up with today. The last verse of Joel chapter 2, verse, verse 32 is what it is. It shows us here that the Holy Spirit reveals our need for salvation. So let's finish with this this morning. It says this in verse 32 of Joel 2. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. I love that stanza that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you have Joel's, uh, this chapter of Joel's book concluding, and it does so with the assurance that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this promise is true for those who are living on this earth during the time of the great tribulation that is to come, but it's also true for every one of us today, that if we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. If we call on Jesus to save us, he will save us. But we'll only come to the spot where we realize our need to call on the name of Jesus if the Holy Spirit makes that true to our hearts and to our minds. And it's interesting because you and I all know people who seem like they have the hardest hearts, 
people that we think, all right, their background is so dark and demented, or their hearts are so hard that I can't imagine them ever coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It'd be easy for us to think, all right, they're never going to trust in Christ. But the Holy Spirit can speak even to the most darkest, even to the hardest of hearts, and reveal the need for salvation. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Johnny Piles. Some people are familiar with Johnny Piles because he wrote a, a, a poem. Uh, it's called, With Glowing Heart I'll Praise Thee. And it's a testimony to his faith in Jesus Christ and the praise he wants to give to the Lord. Um, but a lot of people, I don't think, realize that Johnny Piles wrote that poem while he was on death row in Texas. He was on death row in Texas from 1982 to 1998, and he was executed on death row. And this is what he said prior to being executed. He said this of his conversion specifically. He said, I spent eight years on death row for murder before Jesus became my Lord and Savior. The consequences of my sins have not been removed. I will still reap that which I have sown. Though I still face daily the death penalty, I have nothing to fear, for Jesus is my Savior and Lord. And he was given an opportunity to make a last statement just prior to his execution. And this is what he said. He said, I want to tell you folks here, so my understanding is that he was saying this to those that had the opportunity to observe the execution. And keep in mind, in most contexts, the family of those affected by who he has hurt are given the opportunity to witness that. So my understanding is that they were there to witness these things. And he said, I want to tell you folks there that I have a love in my heart for you. I hope you don't look for satisfaction or comfort or peace in my execution. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I want Him to be yours. I'm sorry for the pain and the heartache I've caused your family. Too many years I've caused my own family problems and heartache. I'm sorry. I wanted to let you know that the Lord Jesus is my life, and I just want to go. I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to be in His presence shortly. I've got reason to rejoice, and I pray that I get to see all of you there someday as well. I thought that was an interesting decision to use His last words to say those sorts of things, because when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you'll see Him exercise His power in you and around you. And as He exercises His power, what He does is He points your heart, He points your life, and He points your testimony to Jesus. And what He does, the Holy Spirit, He fills us with an overwhelming desire to give Christ glory. Joel was testifying to that in this portion of Scripture. And our lives have the opportunity to testify to that truth as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this today and meditate on these things and think about these things and learn a bit more about how You work in the lives of those who know You and love You and trust You. Lord, we recognize that, that at times it's very easy for us to minimize the work that You're accomplishing around us. It's very easy for us to take for granted the presence of Your Holy Spirit in our lives. 
We grow so used to this blessing as men and women who live under this new covenant that we forget about people like Joel who went through the course of his days on this earth looking forward to the day when you would bring these things to pass. But now we have the privilege to live in the era where, where you've made this happen. And we wake up every day and we go to bed every night as believers in your Son, Jesus Christ, with the presence of your Holy Spirit living within us, as temples of your Holy Spirit. Lord, this is amazing. This is a wonderful thing to be able to experience the internal confirmation of the truth of your gospel through the Holy Spirit's power, to be able to experience the comfort and the counsel of your Spirit as He does His work in our lives. Lord, we're grateful for these things, and we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to live our lives in such a way that we get to experience these blessings, because we know we don't deserve these things, but we're also grateful for the fact that regardless of whatever worldly labels we temporarily wear, whether we feel like we're in a season of lowly position or we're in a season of esteemed position, whatever label this world tries to slap on us, Lord, we recognize that these things are not what it takes to impress you. You are not impressed with worldly labels. You delight to bless the humble. And so we're grateful, Lord, for these blessings that you've poured out upon us, that we, regardless of our station, have the, the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit living within us as we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. So thank you for these reminders from your Word today. And we pray, Lord, that we would experience great comfort and encouragement in knowing that these things are true and knowing that we can fully rely on every promise that you've ever given us. We praise you for all these things, and we thank you for this all in Jesus' name. Amen.